This is FatCast for July 13th, 2010. I'm Leslie Kinzel of FatChanisa.com, and as always, joining me is Marianne Kirby of TheRotund.com. This episode is part one of a multi-part conversation about gender. Hello, and you are listening to FatCast, and I have um, independently decided not to announce episode numbers at the beginning of the episode anymore, because I can never remember which one the right one is, and it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> I'm here with Marianne. Hi. Man. Oh, I didn't... There's no woo. <laughs> it's, it's been a long morning. <laughs> Marianne's woo is all used up. <laughs> It's, it's, um, hopefully it will reemerge. <laughs> we are going to talk today about gender and um, boys and girls and um, other uh, manifestations of gender and how that intersects with fat. And obviously this is a subject that is absolutely big enough to like have its own podcast series like independently because you can go on and on about this so much but I think you know a few people have been asking us to talk about it and I feel like we should you know sort of I don't want to gloss over it but at least talk about some of the finer points like fat and the men's um because the men's are often like, hey, what about us? You know, it affects us too. So I, this is a rare podcast where I don't have like notes or bullet points um, to start off with because I tried and it was just so overwhelming. Um, so do, I don't know. Do if you, you feel like you're operating at the, the edge of, I don't know, civilization now that you don't have notes? Um, a little bit. Yeah, like, you know, I'm sailed off the edge of the world. <laughs> yeah. Here, there be conversational dragons. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm sort of relying on you, Marianne, to keep me on task. <laughs> and oh, I that, that's unfortunate. <laughs> I don't know if there is um, something that you particularly wanted to, you know, sort of start off with, or if we want to start off talking about the men's and how... Why are you pressuring me? Um, because you're you're good without notes. <laughs> well, I think we probably, even though this is a two hundred one kind of space, we probably ought to offer up some definition of gender. Okay. And give a general context and framework because it's not a super common conversation to be having in fat acceptance spheres, even though it totally needs to be. Agreed. Um. I know that it's one of those topics that unless you are actively involved in talking about it, it can seem kind of like, why do we have to talk about this? So, Exactly. Do, so do you have a definition you'd like to offer? Um, well, I my definition of gender actually sort of stands in opposition to sex, which I think is, is probably... Um, I don't, I don't want to say it's a common, it's common given my academic background to sort of position these things as distinct. Uh, the sex of a person, generally speaking, is the sort of, uh, well, I don't want to say it's determined by chromosomes because that's not always true. Um, it's Your sex is basically what's assigned to you when you're a baby and they look at your crotchular region and make a determination based on what they see. So if you look like you have tiny little baby penis, they're probably going to call you a boy. And if you look like you have tiny little baby vag, they're probably going to call you a girl. Uh, this gets a little murky when you start talking about um, children who are born and who grow into adults who are intersex, which means that the it's the the unfortunate description a lot of times is sort of having indeterminate genitalia. Um, and this actually happens more often than 
you would probably think it happens. It's not sort of like a one in a bazillion thing. Um, there are people, because genitalia look very different, even between individuals that are easily identifiable as being um, male or female, you, when you, have, you can have people who are born with genitalia that it's just hard to tell just by looking. And out of this comes very tragic sort of stories about uh, assignment surgeries that go horribly wrong, and I'm sure most of us have read some of these stories at one time or another. Um, there was a whole book, uh, oh, I should know this, it's it's something like the girl who was a, or, you know, raised a boy, or a boy who was raised a girl, I don't remember the name of it, I'll look it up and add it in the show notes. I had to read it for a class, and it was it was a really great book, but it was incredibly depressing that, you know, it's, it, it, when dealing with the question of intersex really sort of makes us, well, I should say, it makes me sort of realize in this very shocking way how deeply invested we are in instantly identifying gender like the second a kid is born. And I mean the second, I mean the first thing you expect the doctor to say isn't, oh, it has two arms, two legs. You know, it's screaming. Uh, it's covered. It's covered. It's covered in blood. <laughs> you know? No, the first thing the doctor says is, uh, you know, it's a girl or it's a boy. And, you know, you can imagine in an intersex situation where it's, you know, it's uh, OK. We're not or, sure. We're not sure. <laughs> yeah. So the, yes, the, the power of Google <laughs> compels me. Um, it's as nature made yes, him, the boy who made was raised him. as a girl. As nature made him, and it's it's kind, it's really it's an incredibly depressing but an incredibly moving story, and I definitely recommend it, and I will link to it in the show notes. But that, by way of talking about, you know, when we're talking about sex, that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about gender, gender, from my definition, given my background, is more about an expression of your identity. So your sex and your gender, most of the time for most people in the world, tend to line up, whether that's a naturally occurring process. And by line up, I mean people who are identified as female will tend to identify themselves as women or as female or as feminine, etc. This, whether this is a naturally occurring phenomenon or whether it's something that's sort of culturally imposed and just people are unlikely to question it is a, another sort of issue. Um, I don't think we're going to have time to talk yeah. about that. But uh, <laughs> so perhaps we should at some point. At some point, it would be an interesting conversation. But, you know, there are lots of people that it doesn't line up who, for whatever reason, consciously or not, um, some people, you know, grow up their whole lives feeling like they are the wrong, you know, they're being identified as the wrong gender by people. And, you know, some people decide later on in life that, you know, and I'm tired of, of you know, this doesn't feel right to me anymore. I want to identify in a different way. And it's, you know, that's why it's more sort of, we call it a gender identity or a gender expression or something like that, because it is, gender is malleable and changeable, and it's based in how an individual identifies themselves. And that is a little, you know, that's that's sort of, like I said, that's my really long-winded definition. <laughs> and I, like I said, if I had to define it without referencing sex, I don't know. I'm not sure how I would define it. I don't know if you have an answer to that. I, I'm, I'm honestly not sure how I would define it either without referencing its relation to, and sometimes not relation to, biological sex. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like... I don't know. They're they're peas in a pod <laughs> when it when it comes to definitions, and I I hate sort of you know definition in opposition like that. But mm-hmm. at this point, I guess if I had to, I if I had to define it on its own, it would be the expression, uh, like the 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 expression of sexual characteristics whether or not they are in (laughs) relation to biological sex but this is just it trying to define it without also without using the word gender in the definition and without referencing biological sex in the definition is almost impossible i mean gender is such a 
intrinsically by i mean just it's such a cultural phenomenon it's something that all of our gender signifiers all of the things that we think of as being male or as being female are culturally constructed and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're just made up and stupid i mean obviously we all have investment in them and we don't you know we live in culture so they're important but these aren't things that sort of come naturally with a vagina or with a not vagina so I think that that that's that's something that is really important to note that, you know, all of this and when we actually start talking about body size in relation to this, maybe this is a good segue, um, how that really can fuck with gender expectations and gender norms because part of what we identify as belonging to a certain gender expression is a certain body shape. And that's that's probably a good segue. Yeah. Um, well, because that gets into all sorts of oppressive, you have to look this way or you're not a quote-unquote real woman. Exactly. Or real man or mm-hmm. what the fuck ever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, we can start, obviously, with, I mean, you know, the, the the most obvious connection with this is that women generally are expected to have some degree of an hourglass figure that, you know, our, our cultural ideal of a woman shape is going to involve usually reasonably, you know, sized boobs, uh, defined waist, and, you know, somewhat broad hips, but not broad, broad hips. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we know that's that's the traditional sort of hourglass shape, and that's part of what's identified with uh, being female or being feminine. Likewise, with men, men tend to, you know, the idealized male shape tends to be sort of V-shaped, where, you know, they have broad shoulders and they sort of narrow down, not into a defined waist, but they basically narrow down and then just go straight down the rest of the way. Yeah. So obviously, both of these shapes are set askew by fatness. Um, it's true there are lots of fat women who do have a traditional hourglass shape. Um, and I don't know that there are many fat men that have a traditional <laughs> V sort of, you know, broad shoulders sort of narrowing down. I don't know many fat. I'm trying to imagine a fat guy that would, would actually meet that. Um, well, shape. That gets that gets murky because of the whole belly issue, which is where many men mm-hmm. tend to carry their fat, sometimes almost exclusively. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> using my own husband as an example, I mean, at one point he was still wearing like a medium in underpants and an extra large shirt. Because <laughs> there was this disparity there, mm-hmm. and and you know it was all sort of because he's he's barrel chested, and you know once you get to the hippular region, it just there's nothing there. It's like where did all your extra flesh go? <laughs> it, it's almost like when women are extreme apple figures, mm-hmm. you know, and. Well, that, that's my observation, at least. One of the things that has fascinated me about this for a long time is that um, in men, fatness is um, emasculating. And and I mean, this obviously cultural, not I'm saying it is. I'm saying, generally <laughs> speaking, the conventional wisdom is that in men, fatness is emasculating. And in women, it's defeminizing. Right. And it's sort of like, you know, this is is something that will, is going to upend whatever your gender expression is. I think that the the sort of effect that it has is de, it, it both desexualizes and fucks up your gender presentation. Mm-hmm. For observers, not necessarily for you as a person expressing gender, but for observers, because it means you are not presenting in the customary way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether you identify as a man or a woman or genderqueer or, you know, something else to an observer. It's going to desexualize you 
unless you fall into that, you know, nasty little subcategory of, you know, your your fat means you are out of control, both, you know, with your consumption and your sex, which seems to happen with women who are on the smaller end of fat and extreme hourglasses. Yeah, there's there's always sort of a, a an assumption that fat women are both totally, you know, desexualized, undesirable, and disgusting in that manner, but at the same time, in this beautiful hypocrisy, are also sort of oversexed or are sluts or... Fat girls are easy. Yeah. So there's this, this really conflicted message that you get that this woman is, you know, disgusting and no one would want to have her, and yet somehow she is also having copious amounts of sex with you know, these invisible, non-existent people who would want to bed her. So that that's, you know, one example. I actually did my second master's thesis was on fatness as a queering influence. Be in my, the crux of my argument was that fat bodies just by virtue, even without, you know, sort of an intentional gender expression, by virtue of fucking with that shape, are a queering influence on our perception of gender. Right. And yeah, it was it was it was a really fun argument to make. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, so I really think that that's a critical part of looking at fatness and gender. And when I talk about queering just for folks who don't have my academic background, which is probably most of you, um, and that's actually completely okay because I don't recommend my academic background because it <laughs> will not get you very far in life in terms of making money and being successful. Uh, <laughs> but for people, just to have a rough definition, when I'm using the word queering as a verb there, basically, and this is a very short definition, I'm using it as as a means, basically, that the, these bodies are taking sort of a passive action to rewrite or to cause us to question or understand in a different way the way gender can be expressed. And by virtue of, if you have, say, a fat femme, which a femme is someone who, you know, sort of performs femininity rather than just taking it on because that's what you're supposed to do, uh, that also that is extraordinarily queer because you have a person who is consciously on performing femininity on a fat body in a way that is not seen that you know is is sort of very unusual and very up i mean you know when you think about the language we use when we talk about weight loss with women, it's always, you know, I, I've heard and read so many awful weight loss testimonials from women who say, you know, I don't feel like a real woman anymore, or, you know, I feel like no one will, you know, be attracted to me. And obviously these are, you know, n not surprising things to say, but when you really sort of break it down, what we're arguing and what culturally we're being taught is that being fat makes you less of any gender that it somehow makes you this it puts you in this other category until you can get that fat costume off your body and, and that's why you get all of the you know there, there's a thin person struggling to get out that whole idea of a fat costume that mm -hmm. we're wearing and that's you know that that's why you get what is a reclamation effort you know real women but that's so deeply problematic for so many other reasons. Let's actually talk a little bit about the real women thing. Okay. Because I think that is something that people, a lot of people say without really thinking about what it means. And because it seems like an easy way to reclaim beauty. Yeah. But, you know, Marianne, why is it problematic to <laughs> define certain women as real? When you cast a certain subset of women <coughs> as real, you deny that, you know, label woman to everybody else. 
And that's the exact same thing that's being done in the first place. And, I mean, we consistently talk about wanting a whole new pie, a whole new paradigm, instead of just switching up the paradigm of oppression. And so to turn around and say, no, those extremely thin women aren't real women, real women have curves, is just as bad, you know, because those women are also real women. The idea is that both body types are valid shapes for women to have. Exactly. It also denies womanhood to trans women, to genderqueer women, to women who don't identify in a certain traditionally femme way. It's, it's an incredibly exclusionary way of going about reclaiming you know, gender identity for fat people. Well, it sets it up as this binary that yes. if you're if you're going to specify some women are real, then the implication, which is completely obvious, is that there are women who are not fake and women. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, and that for you know obvious reasons it's it's very hard to take the position that you are arguing for body diversity and for self acceptance and then at the same time say well those skinny bitches don't really count because they don't have hips and you know breasts and that's so problematic because the reality is the skinny bitches are suffering too. We all suffer under, you know, gender laden expectations of what our bodies are supposed to look like. This is why so many women have plastic surgery. This is why so many women get breast implants who are perfectly fine looking the way they are. Now, admittedly, women can choose to do whatever they want surgically, and I'm not going to pass judgment. But on a cultural level, that's women don't, you know, decide to get breast implants completely independently of gender expectations. It's not happening in a vacuum. No, <laughs> it's not like, you know, all of these women have individually woken up one morning and said, you know, these fleshy appendages on my chest I would like them to be larger <laughs> <laughs> without there being an enormous amount of cultural baggage attached to that expectation attached to the idea of well if I have bigger tits then I will be I will feel more womanly I, I will look more womanly that you know I will somehow it, it's like a, a surgical makeover for He's my gender you see it in the backlash against women who have breast reduction surgery. Mm -hmm. You know, people who don't understand why they would ever want to make their breasts smaller. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you want to make your breasts smaller because of all sorts of reasons. Like, it hurts. You know, it's it's physically uncomfortable. It's it, There's all sorts of, of reasons for to, to have a breast reduction. Mm -hmm. But you get people who don't understand that because... Why would you want to make your breasts smaller? Breasts are, we have this cultural obsession with them. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's true. It, it's a secondary sex characteristic, but it is such a, uh, I don't know, laden with connotations. Well, and things like that, that stuff really fascinates me because historically, it, you know, we sort of assume because we're so inundated with these messages about what secondary sex characteristics are important, that we have this idea that that's always been the case and that hasn't always been the case. Um, you know, that, that, you know, if you go back historically, yeah, of course, boobs and cleavage, you know, to some degree or another have been featured throughout most of historical costume. Yeah. But there are other secondary sex char characteristics that were considered incredibly sexual that we would look at today and be like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, an ankle. I was about to say, I yeah. mean, a glimpse of ankle used to be a big deal. It so. was scandalous. You could have a woman who had her tits out on a tray, but if you could see her ankle, that was like, oh, my God, you know, stone her for being a whore. Yeah. I mean, that's that's, you know, that and that is something that today we're like what the fuck it's an ankle we see them all the time <laughs> you know but that's one of the things that has changed you know just like you know gender stupid gender stuff has changed dramatically as early as the turn of the century uh pink was considered the little boy's color and blue it was very masculine 
blue was considered the little girl's color because pink was supposed to be active and, and aggressive and blue was thought to be calming and, and, you know, all of the things that we, you know, associate with, with, uh, male and female babies or we try to at this point um but you know these were these random colors and i mean we now we're so accustomed to thinking pink for girls and blue for boys that it's hard to imagine that there was a time where it was opposite we just sort of take for granted that it's always been that case that but as i've been saying repeatedly you know all (laughs) of this stuff is culturally built and for the most part, it's arbitrary. It's there's not, you know, a whole lot of reasoning or rationale behind the way these things evolve or how these ideas happen. Um, they just do. I mean, I'm sure you can pull out a bunch of cultural influence and say, well, this began because of X, Y, and Z. But it's, you know, for the most part, there's not there's not sort of a, a scientific direct cause that oh, we associate pink with girls because of this you know, genetic sequencing that you yeah. find in women. Yeah. That that would be kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, and, and you know, the uh, getting back to the whole men's question, it's hard. I think it's hard for me to talk about that too much in depth because while I definitely want to acknowledge that it affects that you know fatness affects men profoundly it affects them in such a different way than it does women and i'm working from my own experience that it's hard for me to discuss it with any real intelligence i guess (laughs) you know it's it's you know it's more a question of well with men because men are in general, although yes, fatness can be emasculating, men in general are also less reliant on sexual appeal for success in life. So yeah, it's emasculating, but it's that emasculation is actually less of an obstacle than it would be for a woman who is, you know, being defeminized. Fatness on a woman, generally speaking, is more of a cultural affront. I would argue than it well, is on a man. I think th- this is not to say that that both peop- both groups are not oppressed and that it doesn't suck and that there aren't associations and assumptions and negative connotations associated with both. But I think fat women are much more are get much more disgust and disdain from culture as a whole. And I'm not talking about individuals, but culture as a whole than men do. I think that it is a muddy issue because of male privilege. I mean, I I think that being a fat man certainly lessens the effect of the male privilege that that many men benefit from, but like I I when you go to the golf course, there's a men's tee and a women's tee because women don't have the power to hit as far as a general rule off the tee. And I feel like that's sort of an apt metaphor (laughs) for the fatness conversation. Like, men are starting from an entirely different place. And so their experience is different enough that I don't feel qualified to talk about it. I mean, there are certainly things that, you know, we have in common. But, for example, fatness seems to start at an entirely different place for men. Mm -hmm. You know, and... I know many men that I would identify as fat just from looking at them, and it has never occurred to them to identify as fat because that's not, that's not part of their identity politics, if they have identity politics. But, but <laughs> well, when you, a lot would... of the men I know don't think about this stuff, <laughs> but they don't have to think about this stuff, so... When you even think about the kind of like street harassment that, you know, like breaking it down on that um, level, one of the most common epithets that gets hurled at women of all sizes, in fairness, is fat bitch. And there is no analog 
for that with men. You can call a guy a fat bitch, but then it's like a double insult because you're calling him fat yeah. and you're calling him a woman, which, you know, is, is unthinkable because women are, are, are horrible. Um, but there well, is that seems, no- <laughs> be, that seems to be sort of the crux of it, is that when, when fat becomes an issue for men, it is in part, like, part, it's part and parcel with denying them their masculinity. And and that seems to be the only manifestation of it. Like, you're not a man because you're fat. Right. You know, and that's when you get into the, you know, it, it always seems to devolve into, like, penis jokes. Penis jokes or boob jokes. That's or another. Boob. That's another big one that I see and hear pretty frequently is the idea that, you know, not only are fat men not men, but fat men are turning into women, which is probably actually worse than being fat. Yeah. That you know, you hear about you know like jokes about there's there's some new show that's coming on FX that we keep seeing ads for, and um, it's got that Louis C.K. guy in it, and in one of the scenes one of my least favorite people in the world Ricky Gervais is like making fun of him for having man boobs and which you know it's so sweet and and a touching scene (laughs) but you know that's that's a really good example of that that it's not you know exclusively about oh you're not a real man or you need to work harder to be masculine it's you sir are running the risk of turning into a woman which... Well, that's such a a, a long running cultural fear as well, mm-hmm. and and that's one thing that I really that that's one thing I really appreciate about like the gender queer population and communities that they they fuck with that intentionally mm-hmm. because I mean they used to warn women that if you ran across a field you might spontaneously manifest male genitalia mm-hmm. like that and. I'm not making this up. These were like common beliefs that if you, you have a citation for that. That would be awesome. <laughs> I, I I can find it. It's um, it's a particularly just kind of what 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 you know <laughs> moment that I've had in in many of of my uh, my lovely literature classes. Um, it's one of those things where. The, it used to be quite commonly held that by your actions, you could change your gender and not just your gender, but your biological sex. And <laughs> like you still, I, I think that is still, you know, some kernel of that is still what's functioning when, you know, people make fun of men's man boobs. Uh, there's not even a not offensive term for that. No. No. You know, there is no way of referring to that without insulting, without insulting them. Without insulting everyone involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that, that is, I think, and that works on the women level as well, that although women are already blighted with womanhood, um, they can't turn into Why? women, but they can, they can lose even their womanly characteristics if they allow themselves to get too fat and yeah. that that as well it's like taking well you know you're stuck in life as a female um you know at least you have the capacity to please a man you know that's <laughs> that's something you've got but then when you get too fat you don't even have that anymore so what the hell good are you <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's sort of the radical feminist read <laughs> You're you've got that going today. Excellent. <laughs> Feel good. But yeah, but yeah. So you know, it's it's it is, it has this very complex effect on how we read gender. And I sort of want to talk. I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, non binary sort of gender presentations and how they interact with fatness but at the same time I also am sort of reluctant to do that because I I I am you know cisgendered female and I present as femme so it's hard for me to like it's hard for me to speak to those experiences with any real knowledgeability and I certainly don't want to speak for someone yeah. 
Okay. I, well, I mean, I'm sort of in the same boat with the added complication that I, I don't perform on the same level as you do, so I am even sometimes reluctant to embrace the, the sort of femme label. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, have, I posted about that extensively, but, <laughs> but that starts to get into, too, like how much of our sort of, when, when we talk about gender expression on that level, how much of it is dictated by perception. Mm-hmm. You well, know, because I, I may not feel it, but I, I, I guess it's a surprise to other people that I'm not considering myself a femme. So, I mean, there's, there's the, perform- the conscious performative a- action of it, but there's also the passive interpretive Mm-hmm. part of it on you know sort of the the part of your audience and it, it makes me think about when we did pigtail day on fashionista yeah the the sort of objection to that was that we were participating in our own infantilization yeah and the argument to that is sort of well pigtails are not always infantilizing and they are often, you know, in a naughty schoolgirl sort of way, playing with that idea in a sexy way. So, I mean, it just breaks down for me to there is no easy way to discuss any of this because it is it is so complex. There's so many facets to it. And depending on who you talk to on which day of the week you're going to get a very different answer. Well, yeah, and I mean, speaking to the perception side of things, uh, my, just with a personal anecdote, I suppose, uh, my parents got divorced when I was six, and my father had custody of me, and my father, being a guy, didn't really sort of, I don't, I don't know that it didn't occur to him, I'm not exactly sure if he ever even really thought about it, he probably didn't, but he was not well prepared to raise me as a, you know, to, to know all of the traditional female stuff, like what girls do and how they act and how they look and da 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 um, As a result of that, and also the fact that I was, you know, I don't know how much of my tomboyism growing up was a result of that or how much of it was just, you know, I was destined to be that way. Um, <laughs> but as a result of that, I, from the age of six through, like, probably 11 or 12, I was mistaken for a boy everywhere that I went. I was I was called son continuously. When I was younger, um, I sort of like it really bothered me that and it was weird. It's weird to think of myself at like seven, eight years old and uh, uh, one example of this was being that I remember vividly, vividly, Marianne, was being at Publix which Publix is a South, well, now I think they've got stores everywhere, but it's a grocery store chain in Florida where I was growing up. And back in the day, if you went to the bakery in Publix and you were a cute little kid, they would give you a cookie. You get this little cookie card and you could show them your cookie card and they would give you a cookie. Um, so, you know, I was a chubby kid and I like cookies. So <laughs> I, went, I went to the bakery and I saw the same guy was always there. I'd been going there for, you know, a while as a kid, for as long as I'd had this damn card. And he gave me the cookie, and he's like, you know, you have a nice day, son. And I'm standing there, like, and I remember vividly in my tiny little, like, eight, nine-year-old brain thinking, but my sneakers have pink on them. Because for me, at that age, what I had managed to absorb was that, well, having something that is pink is like a flag that means you're a girl. And though my hair was really short and constantly a sweaty, disastrous mess, and my clothes were, you know, most of my clothes, in fairness, came from the boys' department because I had a little Buddha belly the whole time growing up. And it was really hard for me to find pants or jeans or shorts or any kind of bottoms that didn't come well I couldn't say me it was my parents that did the shopping but they would have to get them in the boys department because the girls ones just wouldn't fit right and or they were really uncomfortable and um 
yeah, I mean, everything, I, I can't now, in retrospect, looking back, I don't blame him for thinking that, because I see pictures of myself back then and think, yeah, I would have thought I was a boy, <laughs> too. And But it was funny that my, my knee-jerk reaction was, but wait, you know, like, I wanted to, literally, like, I wanted to pick up my foot and be like, hey, dude, there's pink on my sneakers. That means I'm a girl, so don't mm-hmm. call me son. Later, as I got older, it stopped bothering me so much, be- partly because I read a book called... Uh, Shit, what, was the, what was the first I forget it's a, it, the, the Tillerman cycle by Cynthia Voigt I forget the first one I think is called Homecoming um, but it's a series of books and in it basically it's these kids and their mom abandons them in a parking lot and the oldest is I think like 11 or 12 and she can pass for a boy and she, she does this successfully throughout the book and actually gets a lot further um, in trying basically Homecoming. she's bringing Home, it is Homecoming. It's a great freaking book. I just reread it actually not that long ago. Um, but, you know, she's trying to get her younger siblings to their aunt's place, which is like a few states away. And, you know, they go on this amazing journey, which, again, it sounds sort of I'm making it sound really stupid, but it's a fantastic book. But, you know, throughout their, you know, when they're trying to get help from people passing for a boy you know, she, Dicey, who is this character, figures out pretty early on that if people think she's a boy, they treat her very differently. And they tend to assume that she's more capable. Uh, you know, they tend to give her a lot more sort of credit, even though when they think she's a boy, they also think she's younger than she is. Yeah. Which is, was you know, and I'm reading this book as a kid and sort of soaking in this this really surprisingly complex and nuanced read of gender in children and that actually went a long way in helping me to sort of resolve this until eventually I got all femmed out um, helping <laughs> helping to resolve this you know this this upset you know sort of hurt that I felt whenever I was mistaken for a boy after having read that I kind of thought I got to think about it as well this could be an advantage that, you know, I, I may be like, yeah, it's, it may be frustrating for me that people aren't seeing me as I see me, but they may also be giving me a lot more credit and a lot more, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Credibility? I, yeah, it'd be just, just by virtue of they think I'm a boy and therefore I can take care of myself. Yeah. So that's my little personal anecdote with relate relate as it relates to you know other people's perception and your own perception i had kind of the opposite experience in that i developed at a young age and so people often thought i was older than Mm. i was and i was approached in inappropriate ways oh yeah yeah i um i was in thailand uh during operation desert storm and I was 13 years old, and there were, you know, aircraft carriers full of American Navy guys on shore leave. And it was a... Uh, oh, my God, where he it was It was the most <laughs> deeply awkward sort of, like, situation I had ever been in as, as a child because I was a fat teen, and I had, you know, I had come to the States and, and done... Um, you know, school here, and I had done school there, and I was sort of not at all regarded as, you know, a sexual creature as a fat 13-year-old until adult men (coughs) did not realize how old I was Mm -hmm. and saw only, like, boobs and, and that sort of thing. And there was one particularly incredibly awkward thing like we were I was out bowling with friends and I just I had to leave because I didn't know how to even begin to process that these people were hitting on me because I was 13 oh yeah that's it was uncomfortable I didn't like it I actually had a friend um in in high school who had a similar experience that she developed very early and it actually wound up like by the time we eventually stopped being friends, um, it really screwed her up in a lot of ways because she was getting this incredibly overt 
sexual attention from a really, really young age. And we won't even get into how problematic it is that most models and, and, you know, women who are held up as beauty ideal actually do tend to be like 14 and 15. Um, It it started when I was 13. I, I looked 19 years old from the time I was like 12 and a half. Yeah. Until I was, I don't know, I apparently now look like I'm still in my 20s, so... Well, and this is well part into of, my twenties. I still look like I was nineteen. <laughs> this is part of the problem with elevating, you know, youth as a, a critical part of a, a our beauty standards. That you know, as I said, this friend of mine was getting this incredibly overt attention, and for other reasons of her own family reasons she wasn't getting attention of any kind at home and so as a result she really sort of came to accept the sexual attention even as inappropriate as it was because it it sort of filled that gap for her and made her feel like you know oh okay I you know at least I'm you know getting some sort of of someone is noticing me and you know quote unquote likes me and that you know really it fucked her up for a long time she may well still be fucked up today i don't know i haven't talked to her in a very long time i i feel kind of fortunate that i was i was sort of the the deeply awkward geek who did not know how to begin to deal with that (laughs) because it could have it could have gone very badly and and it's still i mean after that you know, it it has still been something of which I have been I have been aware of it for the rest of my life, and I have felt a strange guilt about it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I um on the you know for me because I grew up as sort of asexual, and in fairness, you know, I really once I sort of made peace with the idea that people were identifying me as a boy, it I really stopped identifying as either. Like I didn't really, you know, when most of my friends were sort of obsessed with makeup and, you know, trying to to emulate the trapping trappings of adult femininity, I, you know, would sort of watch and would hang out, but I I just didn't really care I had pretty much no interest in it and as a result I sort of you know had this this unintentionally sort of asexual self-perception for a long time and then in high school in my junior year I went to Catholic school and there obviously was not a huge amount of of this is before, this was long before um, Hit Me Baby One More Time. So, <laughs> you know, the school, Catholic schoolgirl as, you know, trampy slut sex slave was definitely, you know, that's been an I- idea for a long time, but yeah. it wasn't quite as prevalent as it, it is by today. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, you know, was pretty, you know, yeah, I wore a skirt. To, to school every day because I had to but you know most of the rest of the time I was wearing baggy pants and you know band t-shirts and my actually no it wasn't my it may have been my sophomore year I don't I don't remember it was either my sophomore or my junior year um, I had the opportunity to go on a school trip to Europe and you know bless my dad somehow he made it happen <laughs> and it was over spring break and, you know, we went all over Europe and it was one of those crazy trips where he would wake up in the morning and he wouldn't remember what country you were in. And although, you know, it was still a lot of fun. But one of the places we went with was Paris. And there was in the, I think it's the Montmartre district. I'm probably pronouncing that really badly. Um, where there's, you know, it's sort of like an artist district and there's lots of, you know, sort of spaces where people will, you know, draw portraits of tourists and things. Right. And... I, for whatever reason, I don't really remember how it happened, but, you know, I'm walking around with my friends and a few, you know, other people from our class trip were, you know, having their portraits done. And this one guy just would not like, let. I mean, you know, and these, these artist guys are trying to make money. So they're going to say what they have to say to get you to let, let them draw you and to pay them for it. And this guy just like hooked into me and would not stop like basically you know telling me how beautiful I was and he wanted to draw me and that in and of itself I'm like what are you talking about like you're you're not looking at me but <laughs> because well, that's... I feel I, 
I mean, well, let me let me get yeah, finish to your this. story. Yeah, the whole story is it's it's sort of weird because every once in a while I will find this and it's sort of shocking to me even today that this guy just wouldn't stop and all my friends were like just do it and he kept saying he was like just let me draw you if you don't like it you don't have to pay for it and all my friends were like yeah let's go do it do it do it and they're all giggling because this you know rather attractive artist guy is begging to draw me so he draws this picture and I'm standing there and I remember I had an ice cream cone. And, you know, I'm old enough at this point. I know what's what. And yeah. he keeps, and, you know, I'm really unwilling with this guy who's giving me all of this unwanted attention to be eating this ice cream cone, which is hard to do in a non-suggestive <laughs> way, <laughs> even if you're trying not to be suggestive. And I remember holding this ice cream cone. And it's just like melting all over my hand. And he's saying, eat your ice cream. He's like, just, and I'm, and I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm eating my yeah, ice you, cream no. while you're drawing me. <laughs> so I sat there while my cone melted and, you know, he finished and I remember all of my friends standing behind him while he's drawing and I remember the expressions on their faces were all sort of like they all looked sort of shocked and not exactly scandalized but sort of like approaching scandalized and I'm standing there thinking like what is is he drawing me as a pig like what is going on and finally he finishes and he comes over and he you know puts his arm around me shows me the picture and I swear to god Marianne he drew me like I was a model on the cover of Cosmopolitan (laughs) and it it was me I mean he did a fantastic job it looked just like me but he the the expression that it was so it was the most surreal and mind-blowing it was one of the biggest perception changes I have ever had in my life in terms of how I see myself that you know this he shows me this picture and I see myself as this you know very plain tomboyish you know doesn't really care about makeup or you know prettiness or anything like that much more interested in music because that was all I cared about at the time and he shows me this picture of this stunningly gorgeous sophisticated woman and I, I didn't, I literally, I was, and you know, this doesn't happen. I was speechless. Yeah. I was completely speechless. And all of my friends are sort of staring at me and we're all like looking at each other like, what, what, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is happening? Yeah. Is this bizarro world? Like, how is this, you know? And I, you know, sort of ultimately mumbled some, you know, thanks and I paid him and I took it and I rolled it up and I like jammed it in my suitcase. And when I got home, I hid it. And I hid it for, I forgot about it. And it was, it was hidden for years and years and years. And then when I was going to, actually I was home from college. I think it was after my freshman or sophomore year at college. And I found it and I opened it and it looked like me then. Right. And That's I was amazing. Like, I was like, oh my God, this is so scary. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so that's my really long story. So I'm sure you have comments about that. No, I think it's an amazing story. And I think it really super illustrates a couple of things. And one of the things it illustrates, um, I, I think lots of women women who were fat kids probably experienced it where you were sort of degendered, you know, growing up. It was assumed that you weren't going to be into makeup or boys or whatever Mm -hmm. because you were fat as though being fat means you can't swoon over, you know, whatever. And I, I, I think that's probably really common. And so I think that that sort of, you know, gender neutral way of growing up is really interesting and it has its good points, but I think it, gives us no tools with which to process moments like that. Mm -hmm. Moments like receiving inappropriate male attention at a young age. Like we don't have any tools because we are so incapable of seeing ourselves in that way. Exactly. Yeah. I was in, in that, like I said, in that moment, I was, it was such a weird combination of feelings. And a lot of it was, funnily enough it was embarrassment yeah that you know that you know I I, it's hard for me to even describe now in retrospect because it's still sort of flummoxing to me that you know knowing the person that I I felt I was and knowing my identity at the time and somehow that this guy saw something completely different 
it it was it was deeply it was almost like you know it, I wasn't I wasn't sure at the time like whether he was making fun of me yeah like you know because I would look at that picture under other circumstances and think this is a joke right because this is so not you know I'm a fat girl and I grew up fat and I grew up you know just with the idea that that you know having a body this shape and not having a particular interest in you know feminine stuff meant I had no right to imagine myself in that way or I had no right to do things like wear a freaking dress or put on makeup or give a crap about this because you know I had this literal wall of fat between me and culturally acceptable gender presentation and that was it was deeply embarrassing to me to have that sort of that that idea ripped down and said you know like well no you can look and identify however you want because it had never occurred to me before yeah yeah, exactly. It's very weird. Isn't it bizarre? Like, and, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I remember excruciatingly well the acute embarrassment of having someone view me in a way that I was not sure if it was genuine or, or mocking. And I was so programmed to, you know, to accept that people made fun of my body, that mockery seemed the more likely answer. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of fucked up when you really stop and think about it. It really is that, that our assumption is, you know, was automatically, and even today, sometimes I still revert to that, that my assumption is this person is like, is taking the piss out of me that you know they're 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 you know trying to to make fun of me and make me uncomfortable although that's yeah sometimes I'm sure that's the case but I don't it's not always the case and I think that's also something that we um we I know we want to do another episode that talks more specifically about sex and dating and all that good stuff and I think that that you know how to deal with that and what you know all of the the weird shit that happens in our heads when we get that kind of attention i think that would be good to talk about further when we do that podcast as well well i kind of want to talk about too the way that it sets us up as adults i mean people are like you're just too sensitive well it's not that we're too sensitive it's that we have a lifetime of conditioning exactly and that makes it kind of hard to just magically decide that other people's opinions don't count you know, and, it's <laughs> and that's that's also a really important distinction for those of us who have grown up our whole lives um, with at least, if not, you know, easily identifiable, easily identifiable fatness with the overwhelming certainty in our own heads that we were fat because believing that, you know, that identifying yourself as a fat woman is come it's not just about oh i'm fat and i need to lose weight it comes with a whole host of other cultural baggage such as i'm not allowed to be feminine um i'm not allowed to you know pe- no one is going to be sexually attracted to me um although you know i'm not supposed to be sexually attracted to anyone else because it might make them feel uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> or it might open even if i am sexually attracted to someone else i'm certainly not going to share that because right. then that makes me vulnerable to rejection mockery etc etc mm-hmm. exactly I got to say, I remember really acutely, like the moment as an adult that I realized I was not a repulsive mass of, you know, indeterminate fat. (laughs) And I was working at Lane Bryant and I wasn't even like dressed fancy. I was wearing, okay, it, it was like 1998. It's okay. So you, can I tell was... us. you can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was wearing really super light wash, um, wide leg jeans, and I mean, the, I'm I'm thinking about those jeans now, going like, man, I wish I still had those jeans. And part of me is like, no. 
I think I had those jeans, and they you, were awesome. You probably <laughs> did, and weren't they fucking fantastic? They were. Yeah. <laughs> With the button fly? Yes. Oh, my God. We're talking about the same jeans. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I love this. I feel so validated. Um, I was wearing that with, um, you remember, I am sure as well, the sort of um, slinky knit that they used to do. Everything, yeah. Yeah, I had like the, the I still have it actually. It's a fourteen sixteen, and it still fits. I don't understand the crazy, crazy world that was Lane Bryant in the super late 90s, early 2000s. The sizing was outrageous. Outrageous. Still fits, still wear it. Um, it's like a turquoise, like, slinky jersey v-neck shirt and I was wearing that with my super light wash wide leg button fly jeans and I um I had long curly hair at that point and it was down and I was wearing my very cool sunglasses that I had gotten in Thailand that summer and I was sitting on a stool at a cart like a a kiosk in the mall waiting on a friend of mine because I had gotten off work and I think I was wearing, like, sandals, even. I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't worn sandals in so long. I'm like, boots, boots. <laughs> um, and these two guys walked by and super obviously checked me out. And I had this conscious realization that, huh, they, they checked me out in an appreciative fashion. Huh. And I was, like, a 22, 24, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not like I was, you know, small fat or anything. It was just this moment of oh my god I just got checked out and I believed that it had happened right and it 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 was like it blew my mind and and I credit like working at Lane Bryant with some of that as well because it it, I mean the Lane Bryant I worked at was very into sort of like proto fat acceptance and confidence and that sort of thing but it, it it was that moment as an adult where I realized that no, actually, you know, I, my, my body is not going to repel everyone who looks at it, that I can engage in, in, I don't know, sexual attraction, I guess. Yeah, for me, that realization um, came, which we talked about in the Little Goth minisode, um, really came when I started clubbing. Um, like, I started realizing, like, oh, these people, you know, like, these guys aren't pointing and laughing at me. <laughs> you know, like, these guys are actually, like, you know, checking me out to come over and talk to me. And they did. And it was it was sort of, you know, it's so hard to let go of that expectation where it would happen. And, I mean, I could talk to someone for 15, 20 minutes in a club and still be convinced that, like, he's just trying to trick me into doing something so he can go laugh with his friends. Yeah. And that's so unbelievably sad that, you know, so many of us walk around with that expectation that, I mean, even today, I tend to, you know, yesterday I was on the beach and there were three teenage boys, um, younger teenage boys, which are like the worst kind, um, walking, you know, down the beach, obviously going to get something to eat at a particular restaurant on the beach. And, you know, came, I was lying in, because it was, it was really quiet because it was Friday afternoon and I was lying in this relatively open area. Like there was nobody else near me. So I felt very exposed as I saw them coming and I just sort of sat there and I'm like, I'm invisible. I'm invisible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm invisible. Like I really don't want to lock horns. I'm with so some... bad with the whole group of teenage boys <laughs> things. Like that is when I still feel surprisingly vulnerable, even as a 32 year old adult. Yeah. And it's, it's, it really is mind blowing because I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if they say something, I'll say something sarcastic back and we might trade some yelling and then they'll go on their fucking way and that'll be the end yeah. of it. But but even, you know, it's like you find you like gird yourself for confrontation, you know, yeah. like you, you want to be prepared that, you know, if that happens, you've got all of your shields up so that you're not, you know, it's not actually going to find a chink in the armor and actually hurt your feelings that, you know, you're already prepared. They're assholes, you're stupid teenage boys, whatever. Um, 
So, you know, they're walking up and yeah, I'm totally sort of preparing myself for some sort of wise ass remark. And then they came back the same after they got their food. And again, I'm sitting there like, oh my God, by that point I was lying on my stomach. So I felt a little less, you know, hey, look at the big fat whale on the beach. And, you know, but both times they just completely ignored me. And I have mentioned this on my blog too, that this is part of why I'm so happy about getting into my getting older. Yeah, is that the older you get, the more invisible you are to teenage boys <laughs> that, you know, if you're young and fat, then somehow that's offensive because, you know, like, well, if only you were skinny and had big tits, I could ogle you. But because you don't, I am angry. Yeah. Um, but once you get older, like particularly if you get into like the age of like their mom, <laughs> it's that much less likely that they're they're going to even see you much less, you know, feel entitled to give you shit. Yeah. I mean, unless they're really, really rank asshole teenage boys, which do exist. And the thing is, too, there are plenty of teenage boys who think that fat women are dreamy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I have to say that one of the things that makes me really happy about even the little tendrils of fat acceptance that have crept their way into mainstream society is that you get slightly more younger people of whatever gender who are willing to be honest about I prefer women or men or whatever of this body type you know yeah. people who are less likely to, to to hide their fat significant other in shame yeah so I, I think that's good I feel like we have spent our our whole hour talking about a really narrow slice of gender too like I mean obviously our experience our experience is the cisgendered female, yeah, white, middle class, whatever. But fat intersects in so many other ways. And, it does. And I, I would like to talk more about the way fat queers gender and about the way queer communities seem to have a handle on fat acceptance in a way that straight communities don't often. Yeah. And and kind of ponder some of why that might be. So maybe we can do a part two where we I, talk. I, I was thinking maybe we could do a part two. <laughs> where we talk more about the, the queer side of things because yeah. I have a lot to say on that too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the issue is that there is so much to say about every aspect of it. This may need to be a recurring topic. Yeah, and that's sort of why I didn't have any notes when we started is because I kept thinking this is such a massive subject. I don't, you know, where do you begin and where do you go and when do you know that you're finished? Yeah. I don't think you're ever fa- I mean, this is obviously this is a conversation that will go on forever. So, all right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up then. And you have been listening to FatCast, and I am Leslie Kinzel. I'm Marianne Kirby. And thanks for listening. Till next time. You have been listening to FatCast. The music you have heard in this podcast is by Alo Django. FatCast is shared with you under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license.